Good morning, Cornerstone Church. You guys may be seated. Thank you for always honoring the word of God. Thank you, Isaac, for looking beautiful in your Will Smith Christmas shirt. Thank you, band. Amazing. You guys good? My buddy Matt over there was making fun of my socks this morning. I got a Christmas gift from our Kids Corner Ministry. They are the most beautiful socks I've ever received because they do have my face on them. That's right. They're beautiful. Yep, I just complimented myself. I'm glad you guys are laughing in church because we believe that church should be fun. We believe that you should have a smile on your face and fake it if you have to because some of you look constipated. Making eye contact with you, Grant. Hey, oh, there's a smile. Smiles are free. I hope you guys are good uh, today because I'm going to offend you. You okay with that? I hope you also give me permission to offend you because I was offended writing this message. If you are joining us for the very first time, we are in this sermon series titled Xmas. That phrase should be offensive or can be offensive. It shouldn't be offensive. If you didn't hear Pastor Shanick's week one message, I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and watch it. It was so amazing as he kind of explains the history behind Xmas. Xmas is not taking Christ out of Christmas. It's actually the Greek letter for Christ. It was uh, really important for first century people, actually, when they started writing things on paper, right, they would abbreviate things so that they could fit more things on paper because paper was super expensive. So that's really the origin of Xmas. And what we've been doing in this series is really just addressing issues that Christians tend to get offended at that sh- we shouldn't, right? Week one, if you missed it, I'll give you a, a brief highlight. It was so good. Pastor said, if you're living offended, you're not living free. An offense is just an event, but being offended is a choice. And when we choose to live offended, we choose to imprison ourselves. It's pretty important. Last week, our buddy D'Eric was here, and oh my goodness, D'Eric offended everybody, and I loved it. But he had a really challenging statement when he said that it's okay to disagree with people as long as we don't disassociate and disrespect each other. I don't think Christians do a great job of this. We tend to disassociate ourselves with people who vote different than us or disrespect people who live a lifestyle we wouldn't agree with. And all of a sudden we put up a wall that prevents us from actually ministering to the people that God has called us to minister. Derek said that we must engage with each other even at the cost of our own comfort and safety. And this is a big issue, especially for Americans. We're gonna talk a little bit about this today. You're gonna be offended, but then I'm gonna unoffend you and then we're gonna be challenging Christ and all go home happy and merry and love people better, right? We'll see. He actually said something that I really loved. He said that God's not calling us to be conditional worshipers, which I find very interesting because we love to say in church that God loves us unconditionally, but then as Christians, we often put conditions on it. It's ironic. And so this morning, I just wanna encourage you for real that that I'm not going to just preach to offend you just to offend you. I'm gonna stir the pot a little bit, but really it's not just to challenge you, but to bring some thought-provoking thoughts into your mind to help us live unoffended, to help us live more free. Because the reality is, is I gotta be honest with you. We came up with this sermon series as a group of people. We're like, this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna challenge our people. And then a week before Pastor Shanick spoke week one, I went into his office and I was like, hey man, um, I'm a little nervous about this sermon series. We're gonna tick off a lot of people. And if you know me as a youth pastor, I'm usually the one that's super inappropriate. I'm usually the one that's controversial. I'm usually the one that Pastor Shanick has to reel in. No, Corey, you cannot take the college dudes streaking down through the quad. 
that's a joke. And yes, I did just quote old school. And if you're offended by that, you're a heathen because you know what I'm quoting. Usually he's the one that has to reel me in. And all of a sudden, he brought, I brought this up to him and he started freaking out. If you know Pastor Shane, he doesn't freak out about much, but he started freaking out. If you're possibly offended by this, Corey, then everyone's going to be offended by this. That's why we definitely had to do this. You see, the, the reality is, is, is today, I, I don't think that we understand as Christians, we have a lot of opinions and sometimes those opinions are right. But oftentimes we don't realize that when we are so concerned with fighting for things that, that we think matter or that don't really matter, we don't recognize the wake of devastation that we leave behind us as many non-Christians don't want the Jesus that we claim to serve. In the scriptures, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.15, he compares us to a fragrance. He says that we are a sweet aroma to Christ. You ever read scripture and wonder why in the world uh, certain authors relate us to certain things? I don't want to be related to a fragrance. That's weird, okay? Like, that's weird. But if you recognize how powerful fragrances are, right? You're walking through the mall and some girl walks past you and she smells like your ex-girlfriend. All of a sudden, it takes you down memory lane. When you went to the mall, not expecting to think about your ex-girlfriend, but now you're thinking about your ex-girlfriend and that happened 10 years ago and all of a sudden, bam, wake-up call. Don't look at me like it hasn't happened to you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Fragrances have power. And I love that Paul says that as Christians, we should be a sweet aroma. If you ever do a word study on that word, he's actually using a very similar Hebrew word found in Exodus 5.21. You have Moses and Aaron. He's going to King Pharaoh of the Egyptians, right? The Egyptians had the Israelites as slaves. And so Moses and Aaron are trying to set the Israelites free and they cause a whole bunch of chaos and Pharaoh gets ticked. So he starts making the Israelites work twice as hard. And so the Israelites come to Moses and Aaron and they're ticked off at him because now they're working twice as hard. And they say these exact words in Exodus 5.21. They say, you have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh. So if you study that word obnoxious in the Hebrew, it actually literally translates as bad odor. As if to say, hey, you are making us obnoxious or repulsive to Pharaoh. And I love that Paul uses this word sweet aroma because as Christians, we have two options by the way that we live. We are either living a bad odor or leaving a bad odor odor towards people. People look at us and think of us as obnoxious and repulsive Christians, or we are a sweet aroma bringing life and hope to the people that we do life with. You have the choice to determine what kind of fragrance you're going to leave behind. And that's really, really important because as we dive in to some of the things that, that God laid on my heart to challenge us as a group of people, I'm gonna ask for grace. Can you give me grace this morning? Because I'm really going to challenge some of the things that we believe as people and as Americans. And uh, I'm still in this process of struggling with what it is or how I should react to when certain things offend me. Because the reality is, is I get offended oftentimes as a middle-class white American. But then all of a sudden when I read who Jesus is, I get ticked off at Jesus because Jesus messes it all up. He really does. If you read the scriptures, you see that Jesus came not to bring violence, but to bring peace. That was offensive to a first century Jew because they expected the Messiah to come and overthrow the Roman empires. How are you gonna overthrow the Roman empires unless you're gonna kill them? And so as we dive into the scriptures this morning and as we discuss some issues, please give me grace, but please realize that I'm just trying to provoke thoughts in your life to help us be a sweet aroma to the people that don't know Jesus in our lives. So if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48. If you don't have your Bible or you don't have a Bible that glows, they'll be on the glowing screens behind me. 
You can follow along with me as I read Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. If you're ready to hear from the Word of God this morning, let me hear you say, Ayo. I don't know why I do that, and I say it every time. It just makes sure that you're paying attention. If you need a minute, say, hold on. You better hurry up. Ain't nobody got time for you. I'm reading. You following on the screen. Verse 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is Jesus speaking at the Sermon on the Mount. He continues, it says, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Here's the kicking verse. Verse 48, he says this. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray over the word this morning. Father, I thank you so much for this word. I pray that it challenges us, but it also blesses us and uh, that we live unoffendable. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. This verse really takes me off because a lot of people quote it out of context, right? Jesus is telling his Jewish audience to be perfect. Well, how can they be perfect? Because perfection is unattainable unless he doesn't mean perfection. See, this is why it's so important to interpret scripture with other scriptures because Luke says the exact same thing, but a little bit different. Luke writes the account of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but instead of using the word perfect, he uses a completely different word, a word that actually, in my opinion, really shows us what Jesus is talking about. Because remember, in this context of this passage, he's talking about loving your enemies. Now, to a Jew, you need to understand, to a first century Jew, a neighbor was only Jewish people. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, to a Jew, the enemies were the Samaritans, were Gentiles, were anybody that was non-Jewish. So what Jesus is saying in this moment is extremely offensive to his audience at the time. He's really ripping apart or about to rip apart their racism that they currently have in their hearts. And I find it very, very interesting what Luke says. Because many times, don't re- many times Christians don't realize that in Christ you're already perfect. And usually the first person that argues with me brings up sin. But the reality is, is your sin issue has already been dealt with 2,000 years ago. So you no longer deal with a sin issue. What you deal with is a belief issue. You refuse to believe that God already sees you as perfect in his eyes because he sees Christ in you. And so if you want to catch the glimpse of what Jesus was actually talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, read Luke 6, verse 36. Luke starts to talk all about, you know, loving your neighbors and, and, and loving your enemies. And all of a sudden, instead of saying, be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, he says, be merciful like your Father in heaven is merciful. As if to say, if you want to really catch the revelation that you're already perfect in Christ, it will look like and smell like mercy to the people you do life with. Mercy. Today we're going to talk about mercy because if you really look at the scriptures, mercy is a super offendable thing. Why? Because Jesus calls us to bring mercy, not to the people that are easy to love in our lives, but the people that we look down on the most. In fact, I love when Pastor Shanik, week one, hid behind this X, right? Because X miss, a lot of people get offended by this. 
but he talked about the reality that plywood is, a, is like a thousands of different pieces of wood pressed together. And what happens is when we get offended in life, these little offenses create this big obstacle. And he, and he talked about when you're behind the X as someone who's offended, it prevents you from going out and ministering to people. But I also want to argue that the other side is true. If you get offended and sit behind your X, it actually prevents people from wanting to come and talk with you. It prevents people from actually coming and wanting to experience the Jesus that you claim to worship. And so if we really want to make an impact in the kingdom of God, we should be people that are actually merciful to the people that we disagree with, to the people that don't worship the same God that we worship, to the people that that vote differently than us. And so we're going to talk about three areas, in my opinion, where I think mercy needs to triumph. So if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. The first one is this, is mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy triumphs over justice. My family and I, we have a lot of conversations about justice because I believe in justice, especially as an American. I, I believe in our justice system when they get it right. And therefore, if you believe in our justice system when they get it right, you also have to believe and trust in our justice system when they get it wrong. But I believe in justice. But when I look at the scriptures and I see the life of Jesus, his justice looks nothing like our justice. Jesus's justice looks like mercy. In fact, the call to love your enemies is extremely offensive. This is the gospel message that is offensive because if you get it, it calls us to put down our sword. It calls us to sacrifice some of our rights. And it even calls us to challenge some of the beliefs that we hold, specifically the beliefs that we claim to be biblical. See, I don't see very many Christians upset at the concentration camps that are currently happening in the country of China as China officials are sending Muslim believers to concentration camps to be murdered as we speak. And if your initial response is, well, they're Muslims, then you've missed the gospel message. I don't see outrage over the genocide that's happening in the country of Africa as we speak. What I do see is I see a bunch of keyboard warriors fighting over things that don't matter on Facebook. And I do understand that that we won't always be able to bring actual change to a country like China or bring actual change to the genocide happening in Africa. But what we can do is we can start showing mercy to the people that abuse us. Because if we're real in this place, every single one of us in this room has experienced some kind of verbal, uh, physical, or sexual abuse. We have. We've been violated by people that took advantage, of us, took advantage of us. We've been violated by people that took our innocence. We've been violated by people that took advantage of us of our young age and our insecurities. And so every single one of us in this room, if we were real and honest, we have abuses in our life. Sometimes abuses that we hold on to because we're justified in our belief toward that person that took advantage of us. But I want to encourage you today that if you hold on to those abuses, you are actually putting yourself in prison. We must be people that actually show real mercy to the people that abuse us, even real mercy to the people that do not even ask or are concerned about forgiveness. In my opinion, mercy is what will change the world because mercy is the opposite of how we're trained, especially as Americans. Mercy triumphs over justice. My second point is this, and I hope you're ready. Mercy triumphs over nationalism. I, I want to be really careful, so I hope you hear my heart in this. I'm, I'm very proud and thankful to be an American. I'm very proud and thankful for the men and women who have sacrificed their lives so I can even practice my First Amendment rights up here right now. 
but I also want to be very, very careful and challenge us as Americans that Jesus is not pro-America. Jesus is pro-people. We care so much about our freedoms as Americans that oftentimes we lock ourselves in a box of fear. We title it freedom, locking everything that doesn't look like us out. We heard a very challenging message last week, especially since the room is majority white. We heard a very challenging message last week from our black brother, Derek, as he challenged us specifically and really pulled at some of our heartstrings around this whole Colin Kaepernick issue in the NFL. And one of his big things is it's okay to disagree. That's fine. You can disagree with his, his peaceful protest. You can disagree with it. And, but what happens is when we disagree with someone, we disassociate and or disrespect. And, and when we do that, we don't even recognize the real issues at hand, which were, or, and which are our social and racial injustices that our black brothers and sisters are experiencing. And so I, I really want you to hear this because when, when I talk with people, I was offended at first, but then what I had to do is I had to engage with my black brothers and sisters. So I actually took Derek, my wife and I took his wife uh, out like two years ago after this whole ordeal started. And we started asking questions because the reality was is that first I was offended because of my rights. Don't you protest the flag. And then once all of a sudden, when I started getting around my, my brothers and sisters that actually experienced racial and social injustices, and I actually get to hear their stories, it started to break my heart because as a white middle-class man, I don't experience prejudice and racism. And so I really wanna challenge you as if you have an opinion about that specific issue, but you don't know any black people, and I'm not talking about you know of the black girl or black woman or black man that you work with. I'm talking about you don't know black people, you don't do life with black people, you haven't sat down one of your black friends and, and asked them questions about the prejudices and racism that they've experienced. I wanna submit to you today that if you have opinion about that and haven't been involved or engaged in the solution, that you might be a part of the problem. I think it's extremely important to realize that when Jesus was saying what he said in this moment to the Jewish crowd, they were outraged. Why? Because the Jews in this specific time were racist. In fact, in another, in Luke chapter six, when, when he, he talks about this, he actually, uh, a lawyer shows up and says, well, who's my neighbor? Because remember to a Jew, a, new, a neighbor was only a Jewish person. So they were legally, according to the law, justified in hating someone who wasn't a Jew. So Jesus goes into this whole story. We know it now as the Good Samaritan, but at the time they didn't know it was a Good Samaritan. But think about the oxymoron in this statement because to a Jew, there was no such thing as a Good Samaritan. What was Jesus doing? He was confronting their racist thoughts in this moment as your neighbor is not just your Jewish people, your neighbor is the people that you look down on. Your neighbor is the people you disagree with. The neighbor is the people that you disrespect. Jesus was trying to provoke thoughts within people, telling them that our job as believers is to love the people that are not easy to love. This is a extremely hard thing to do. When, I, when I'm talking to you, know that this has been extremely convicting and challenging for me because it's super easy for me to look over the people that drive me insane. That's not my wife. See, a lot of times we have opinions as Americans uh, we have opinions about immigration, and I believe in immigration laws, but I do understand that it's extremely hard for, for, immigration, for immigrants to actually come to this country and go through the process. My dad is an alien. He actually spent seven years trying to get his citizenship. After seven years, he finally became an American. He had been in the state since college. 
So I, I know exactly how hard it is, and I still believe in the system, but I want to be extremely cautious to us as Americans because I know a couple of years ago when the Syrian refugees were running away and trying to come into our borders, we were outraged at it. Why? Because we were so concerned about our safety. And if you're so concerned about our safety, you're allowing fear to dictate your relationships. And 1 John 4.18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. So if we're truly trying to be like Christians, like Christ followers, then it should actually wreck our opinions as Americans. Because at first I was like, we need to close these borders. And then I started reading the life of Jesus and understand that we are supposed to love people and bring people in, even at the cost of potentially our safety. It wrecks your opinions and beliefs. It's really, really important to understand that mercy triumphs over nationalistic and patriotic views. My third and final thought is mercy triumphs over judgment. There's this story in Luke chapter 15. If you've been in church, you've probably heard it's the story of the, good, or of the uh, prodigal son, right? The, the younger son gets his inheritance early, goes, parties it up, lives lavishly, loses all his money, becomes bankrupt, runs back to his father. He's got this whole speech about forgiveness. His father tells him to shut up. He's like, I love you. My grace is abundant. He brings him in, kills a calf, has a huge old party. And then the older brother, who actually, in my opinion, is the worse off brother because he has a spirit of entitlement because he never left his father's side and he'd, be work, he'd been working not from a place of grace and love, but from a place of I deserve this. There's a lot of people in the American church today. And he shows up and he says something extremely interesting. I actually find it super funny. I don't know if you've ever read it. It says he heard them dancing. I don't know how hot they had to be dropping it for them to hear them dancing. I don't know how first century Jews got down, but they were singing from the window to the wall. If you're offended by that, you shouldn't be because that's at every single wedding you've ever been to. It's the number one song played at every wedding. Did he just quote Lil John in a sermon? I did. I got old school and Lil John in the same sermon. Heard them dancing. This is crazy to me. And as I was reading that, the, the spirit just downloaded into my heart. He says, you know what? In the church, you don't tend to hear people in the church dancing. You tend to hear them protesting judging and living offended. I wanna be a church that dances. I wanna be a church that no matter what people come into this place, we love them. That we're not looking to judge them or trying to help them clean up or just because we disagree with their lifestyle that we can fix or change them. In fact, in Luke 15 verses one and two in the message version, it says this, it says, by this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation, <laughs> doubtful, you get to choose what doubtful reputation is. Everybody in here has a different version of what doubtful reputation is, but it's all beautiful. Doubtful reputation, they were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. And the Pharisees and religion scholars, you know, the church people, they were not pleased, no, not pleased at all. At all. And they growled. They said, he takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. I wonder what our church would look like if we treated all people like old friends. I would love for people that don't come to this church be offended for the way that we love all people. I'm about to get really offensive. You ready? Do you realize that in John 2, 22, it tells us the disciples didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until after the resurrection? Which means Jesus recruited his 12 disciples while they were still non-Christians which means Jesus released 
12 non-Christian dudes to do ministry for three years while they were non-Christians. Think about that. Are we so concerned with people's sin that we disqualify them from being a part of the family? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus was okay that Peter had a terrible mouth. Praise Jesus. That's me. Don't you judge me. Jesus recruited people that did not believe the way that he believed. And he taught them and trained them and loved them and gave them grace and challenged their thought. But he engaged with them. He didn't just dismiss them. You see, in the church, we're not known for dancing. We're known for judging specifically. And let me bring up a couple issues. Are you ready? Are you ready? You ready for me to bring some thoughts? We've got Christians who protest and who shame people who get abortions. And listen, I'm I'm pro-life. But in order to be pro-life, it also means you can't be pro-war. It also means you can't be pro-death penalty. It's pro-life. Even in our justice, it's pro-life. That's why I love organizations specifically in southern Indiana because a bunch of Christians got together and said, ah, I'm sick and tired of people protesting. I'm actually going to do something and get involved. And they started Choices Resource Center. Choices Resource Center, which actually provides people choices so they think. No, they're actually educating people because one of the number one reasons for why people get abortions today is because of uneducation or fear. They don't know what to do. They caught in this situation and all of a sudden they want to run to somebody, but the church is saying no. Without teaching someone why. You know, choices saves hundreds of babies on a regular basis, babies that would have been aborted otherwise because they decided not to protest. They decided not to shame. They decided to get involved and love people where they were. We got the LGBTQ community. I went there. And as a pastor, I want to publicly say I apologize for the Christians that have marginalized and abused the LGBTQ community. If the church rejects the people a part of this community, where are they supposed to go? If you're a part of that community, you are welcome here. Not only are you welcome here, you are family here. We want all people of all lifestyles to be worshiping and finding life and freedom in Christ regardless of their lifestyle. Do you know the only sin that Jesus publicly condemned was self-righteousness? Jesus was frustrated at the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day, not because of the life that they chose to live, but because they beat people up in the name of God. This should cause us to be outrageous that Christians get outraged at things they shouldn't be getting outraged about. Because why would people want the Jesus that we worship when we already have a door in their face saying, you have to look like us before you can be us? We get super frustrated at alcohol. Churches split over alcohol. And I talked about this two weeks ago. The reality is, is alcohol isn't bad, getting drunk is. We must be mature enough people to allow moderation to rule. If the Bible doesn't specifically condemn something, allow moderation to rule. And what happens is if you're nudging your spouse right now saying, see, I can drink, you probably have a problem and you probably shouldn't be drinking. (laughs) We gotta be people that, that bring mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Brittany, you can come on up here and make me sound way better than I am. See, when has protesting ever brought change from a spiritual aspect? And, and I encourage you to be somebody of convictions. I'm a man of convictions. I, I believe that you should have convictions in your life. But what happens is, is when you make your convictions the mandatory requirements of other people, that's when you overstep your boundary. I want to really encourage us as we close this morning is to be careful with your labels. Did you actually know that when you label someone with a racial slur or you label someone as an animal or you label someone as an immigrant or you label someone as a homosexual, you just gave yourself permission not to love them? You label someone as an alcoholic or you label someone as a druggie or you label, we have these labels all the time for people and we don't want labels for ourselves because reality is, is we want mercy for ourselves but justice for everybody else. That's not how the gospel works. Mercy triumphs over everything. Mercy triumphs for all people of all walks of life. Because once you label someone, you give them permission, you give yourself permission not to love them. Like four years ago, my wife and I were driving up to Upper Michigan and we were just listening to my playlist on Spotify and this song came on called Mercy by Bethel. I don't know if you've ever heard it. I'm gonna encourage you to download it and listen to it because it'll wreck your theological viewpoints on a lot of things. It'll wreck your viewpoints on a future judgment, which I'm not going to get into. I'm just going to drop that bomb. But we were driving in the car and, and we both just started to cry because the reality is, is I was fighting for things that did not matter. I was fighting for things that actually put up a wall for the people that don't know Jesus or love Jesus. Like I love Jesus. They didn't want to listen to the things I had. Why? Because my judgments were preventing me from actually loving real people. So I actually asked Brittany to sing the song and as she sings it, just let the words minister to you this morning because I'm telling you, it is extremely powerful as we recognize the truth that mercy triumphs not only over justice, not only over nationalism, but over our judgments.
mercy triumphs over judgment. God delights in mercy. Did you catch that lyric about making all things beautiful? There's a pastor out in Kansas City. His name is Brian Zahn. He wrote a book called Beauty Will Change the World. And the essence of the book is this thought on is the Christianity that you're living, is it beautiful? You ever seen someone that is just downright beautiful? You ever ever seen that dude that makes you feel insecure because he's so pretty? Sometimes I feel like that around my pastor. Or that girl that's like, woo, she got it going on. She is a rocket. I say that about my wife every morning. Hey, girl. But we're drawn to beauty, right? We're drawn to beauty even not naturally, not, not natural beauty, right? We're drawn to when people like serve and love people unconditionally. Why? Because I believe that the gospel message is the most beautiful message in the world. But are we living in such a way that we're so offended that the gospel message is really just obnoxious and repulsive? It's a bad odor. It's not beautiful. So I wanna challenge your knee-jerk reactions. You know, the reactions that you have when you don't have time to pray about it or when you don't have time to think about it, right? I have the best comebacks after the situation. So what are your knee-jerk reactions when people do things or say things or believe things that are different from you? I wanna challenge you to be someone that can control your knee-jerk reactions because mercy is what triumphs over everything. Let's be people of mercy. Let's be people who are beautiful. Let's be people who welcome all people, knowing that the process of life is what matters, not being right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your challenge. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you're merciful. I thank you that your judgment looks like mercy. I thank you that you give us what we don't deserve. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be people that would honor others even if we feel like they don't deserve it. May our love look beautiful. May our love be a sweet aroma to the people around us. And may we actually make your name famous for who you actually are and not the projections that we put on you and limit you by. May we be people of forgiveness. May we be people of mercy. We love you, Father. It's in your name that we pray.